So Jared, the reason I reached out to you is that you are one of the few creators in the health and bio scene who's actually built something successful, had a successful sort of exit from it. So you built Healthcare Huddle, you've scaled it to over 30,000 subscribers, you were acquired by Workweek, which is awesome. And I wanted to just go through some frameworks, like how to do this well, how to do media creation in health and in bio do it properly because I think there's so many examples or so many bad examples where people aren't doing things right so I've got like a load of a list of things like a list of frameworks and I think it'll be fun if we like disagree on them debate them so like the first one I was thinking is even if you make something that's really slick looks professional looks like you're in the game looks like you're a pro I do think that there's two very separate functions there's like a creator slash information giver function which I think everyone who makes media tends to be good at right that's probably why you're doing it right and then there's this very separate thing it's like the business marketing promotion piece and i think the ratio that most creators go to is like probably like a 90 10 like 90 percent effort in the creation 10 percent on distribution and promotion and i do that as well and i think it's wrong i think your ratio needs to look more like a 70 30 personally what do you think i agree because sure your content needs to be high value right but um like also consistency is a key part of like growth right everyone debates like oh say you write a newsletter right? Healthcare huddles every week. I haven't missed a week in like years. Um, but some people are like, oh, I only write high value content like whenever I feel like it. You are not going to grow if you're posting like every now and then versus like every week. And you don't, like my content, I think it's high value, but it's my, the depth that I go into is not that deep because I'm producing every week and I don't have enough time to like dive deep. So I take like this, I, I like that, that percentage. So like, 70% I'm putting into like high value content and 30% I'm trying to like write something on Twitter or LinkedIn or create an Instagram post that will like bring people to the newsletter and act like a funnel because like that's where I kind of get all my readership is like on this so- on these social media platforms and uh, I also need to dedicate time there. Let me get your thoughts more on consistency as well and like just sure. showing up every week because there's two camps, right? There's the camp of turn up every week, be consistent, be there and you will win. Like you will not win by posting your magnum opus or your greatest work every four months. Like that's not going to grow. But then this is other camp of just showing up when you have something really, really good to say. Like examples of creators may come to mind are like the Knowledge Project maybe by Shane Parrish. Like I don't know how often he publishes, but when he does, you know it's a banger. You know it's good. What's been your experience with like this tension between, okay, like this week, I don't have anything good to say. Um, and there's also this element of like keeping your brand elevated, right? Like you don't want to show up that week where you have nothing good to say because you're like, I'm going to ruin my reputation. Yeah. Where do you sit on that like fence between those two things? Yeah. I remember writing Healthcare Huddle back in 2020 and it was like really starting to pick up to the point where I'm like, if I stopped writing today, someone would know, like people would start noticing. <laughs> and that's how I knew like we reached a, a point where like there was, we can't turn back. And I remember sitting to myself at a coffee shop thinking like, am I going to be writing this newsletter? every single week for like X amount of years. And it scared the hell out of me. I was like, because I was so, I didn't have a system, a robust system in place at the time where I felt confident and like not stressed about finding content, right? Cause like finding content is stressful and it freaked me out. But over time when I developed my system um, and I started like planning content like weeks in advance, months in advance, it became much easier to produce content every week because I was not freaking out about like, oh, what am I going to write about this week? What am I going to write about this week? I had content planned. I knew what I was going to write about. I had backup content plans, um, but this didn't happen until like two years in, right? So like, this is how I'm able to balance like residency and content creation is because I, I know what I'm writing about this week. I know what I'm writing about next week. If big news in healthcare pops up, I'll pivot to that, but I know what I'm writing or have some sort of idea. And then throughout all this time, I'm keeping, I'm like curating content. So like if someone writes something, for example, like Neko Health or Nico Health, however you pronounce it, they announced like their business back in like January of 2023. And I said, this will be something to write about. So like I saved that article um, and I started saving like Twitter responses to it. And then they announced a funding round in July and I'm like, oh, and so I saved more articles. And then in July, I wrote a whole piece on it. Um, and I know you, you're, you guys talked about it, uh, but I was like saving content for six months on it because I knew I was going to write about it someday. So I had this whole backlog, which is less stressful and it allows me to be persistent. And if I don't have anything to write about, if I'm like totally burnt out from like residency or I'm not in the mood to write, I don't force it. I will just reuse content 
literally just like copy and paste previous content and just like add some more thoughts to it and that's it well jared talk to me about the way you've systematized things to make it work because i think that's actually one of the most important steps to make something a creative endeavor uh, sustainable you've mentioned obviously one of the key parts is the information gathering phase and doing that oh, yeah. throughout your week not just having one time i don't think anyone can be like an idea generation machine on command i think you need oh, a no. passive way to be having this information gathered and then you can sit down once you've done 90 percent of the work already and put words to paper so can you talk to me about your like how you've systemized things to make them easy sustainable and to come up with good content every week you know i'm a big fan of like don't work harder work smarter so I would try to like always connect new content to old content and I could just like reuse pieces. Like if I, let's say like when I talk about like drug pricing, like I just like copy and paste previous con uh, content that I've written um, and then I add like updated thoughts to it. But um, before each quarter, what I've been doing is like trying to plan when healthcare news will drop. Like if new policy is going to be published at the end of December, I'll like note it December, like here's a piece of content I'm going to write. And once I have all my content filled for a quarter, the quarter ahead, as n people talk about it on Twitter, as news comes up and I get like inbox news from the other news I, just, I subscribe to, I literally just add it to my reminders on my iPhone. I have like a healthcare huddle content reminders. And every Monday, so this is what I do throughout the week. I'll just add it to my reminders, add it to my reminders. I don't read it. I see that, oh, this is on GoodRx and someone has an opinion on it save it to my reminders. I don't look at it. The next Monday, I call it management Monday and I'll go through all my reminders and then I'll start adding it to my like repositories of content that I plan to write about in the future. I still won't read the article, right? So it just goes from like Twitter to my reminders app and then to the content folder where I'm writing the article in like December. And then when December comes- What are you comes, using for the content? Are you using like Notion? What Notion. are you using to like actually write in? Yeah, okay. Notion's like, beautiful. I could add tags. I love it. It's very user-friendly. I was using <laughs> Google Docs, but it, yeah, I was using Google Docs before, but it's it's too much. <laughs> like I just need to like have everything connected. And so when December comes, I will just, I'll then quick and read all the articles that I've written about or that I've saved. And then I will just create my piece. Now at this point, it's, I, I have a whole framework for writing content. So it's relatively easy for me to put stuff out there. Uh, researching and curating is, to be honest, like 80% of my work. 20% of the work is just writing. By that, do you mean that you have a specific formula you follow when you're actually, when you actually put pen to paper? Is that what you yeah. mean? And what, what's yeah. that process? Yeah. So I pride myself or healthcare huddle. Like the one thing, the one area I think we do, I differentiate myself is on the ability to like write very succinct, like in a very succinct way and like understandable way. Again, like healthcare industry news is like, beyond complex. And for my readers, my audience is, I write like for the physician who like doesn't have much time to know everything about what I'm talking about. So I, I really try to stay high level. So like I use something called like the uh, McKinsey reverse pyramid principle. Uh, I forget what exactly what it means, but this is what, this is literally how I started healthcare huddle, how I started writing it. Um, and the framework I've been using for the past almost four years. But basically you start with the main point in the first sentence and then your sub points and the, the the main the first sentence should be like the most important line of each paragraph so basically when i write i do my intro i stick to three points so like the details is usually the first section some further analysis the second section and then the third section is like my own thoughts like how am i bringing together this clinical this uh healthcare systems engineering and like this business perspective to the piece um so it's always three three sections and it's always in the same format. Like you could read the first sentence of every article without reading the rest of the paragraph and you will understand 100% what the article is about. Well, this relates to another theory and maybe you can expand on how you do this well, which is that I think, especially when you are like an independent or indie or smaller creator, not talking about a big news outlet, I don't think there's a lot of room for like traditional reporting oh, no. type content. I think you need to have a take on everything preferably a unique or controversial take, right? And some weeks that's really hard to come up with. Sometimes you just see something and you're like, I actually don't know a lot about this. Like I, yeah. I have nothing unique to say about this. Um, and I want to ask you how you can sort of come up with that on the spot. One way which I found is 
literally browsing Twitter. I think Twitter is the most underrated resource. And I think those threads or any arguments you can find on Twitter, those are worth their weight in gold to, to keep next to an article. 1,000%. People, <laughs> people don't use Twitter enough like who right. are creating content. Like you need to be on Twitter. All of my controversial takes, I test on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and then I also like store controversial takes, like again, through my process, like just throw in my reminders and add it to my content folder. It's so, like, I will see people talk about um, Pranuvo and I will just like store it. I'm like, put that in my back pocket. I will address that in my future newsletter. And I've had some like really hot takes on Twitter regarding like continuous glucose monitoring, whole body imaging. And like, I just know these are spicy takes that would, that people will love to see in a newsletter. Um, and I think you need to be provocative. You need to, my, my brother, when we were creating it, he told me to stop saying, I think in these newsletters, just say something with conviction. Like, don't say like, I think Pranuvo will do X, Y, Z. Say like Pranuvo will be a successful business, but the evidence behind it sucks. Like just say that. Don't say, I think. Um, so say it with conviction and you know, that makes people reading it who are on the other side of the argument get like a little flustered and angry and they'll respond back. In my last newsletter on Sunday, wrote about how this new legislation will reduce drug prices for people on Medicare, so like 65 and older in the United States. And someone who is way more informed about drug pricing than I am, like they started a huge company that got acquired by PillPack. Um, I'm sorry, that got, that got acquired by Amazon. It's called PillPack. And he reached out to me with one sentence like, how do you really think this is going to affect consumers? And I wrote back and then he responded back with like oh, paragraphs, <laughs> like breaking down why I'm wrong. And I'm like, hey, thank you for writing this. Like you informed me. So I think it's very important to throw in a spicy take in every single piece of content you're writing just because it engages the audience way more then you just like regurgitating news. Well, actually, let me just break off a little bit and just ask you about opportunities or access or network that writing on this topic has provided you. Because one of the greatest promises, and I think it's absolutely true of media creation in this space, is the network and like Ali Abdel calls it the serendipity vehicle that this creates. Um, also, people just think you're a bit more legit than you are, I find, if you have like a publication or a podcast or something. Like sure. you could literally, like I'm literally a nobody and then people think I'm like slightly more just because of that. Um, what has it kind of opened up for you in terms of network and access and things? Yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll just respond to you thinking like pe people like look at you like you're one up. Publishing content is fucking, sorry, am I allowed to curse? It's freaking scary. Yeah, yeah, you um, can go for it. <laughs> it's scary. It's not, it's not easy. Like not, if it were easy, everyone would be publishing content. Um, there's definitely a fear component to it. And once you've overcome the fear, you're like a new type of person. I remember like in the early days of healthcare huddle, I would have such anxiety pressing send on the newsletter. I'm like, what if I made an error? What if like I said something too controversial? Um, but now I'm, I like schedule send my newsletter on Friday. Like I don't even think about it anymore. Um, if I made a mistake, if I made an error, great. They'll know that it's a human writing it. It's not some robot. It's not ChatGPT writing it. Um, <laughs> but in regards to to networks, Healthcare Huddle was acquired by Workweek through Twitter. Like the co-founder of Workweek in March of 2021. It's like a year and a couple months after Healthcare Huddle started. DM'd me on Twitter saying, hey, Jared, like what you're doing with Healthcare Huddle, can we chat? And I remember I followed him already for some reason because um, he worked for The Hustle, which is like another newsletter for like entrepreneurs. And I remember he, he like tweeted the day before, like all the magic happens in the DMs. And so I'm like, <laughs> maybe I should answer this. Like maybe he's subtweeting like me in a future, future uh, circumstance. And so I answered him. We had a chat. He's like, I want to come on and be your advisor. Like I know you guys aren't familiar in the media space. Um, so I could help you guys out with growth. And I said, sure. Like we are just running. We're like building the ship as we're flying or building the plane as we're flying. Like we really have no idea what we're doing. We're like just doing research every day and iterating. Um, so he came on and then in the summer of 2021, he reached out to us and was like, actually I'm building this media company called a work week. Think of it like a record label where we acquire the creator. All they have to do is write content, you know, create music, and we will plan all the 
um, marketing, the uh, partnerships, we'll do all the operations. And I'm like, that is great because I am, I'm literally drowning in medical school and balancing content creation. Like I need a, a, a lifeline. And so like we end up going through the acquisition in November of 2021. But all that happened is because I answered a freaking DM on Twitter. And I will say, creating content, you connect with so many people. Like you had Morgan Cheatham on, you had Patrick Malone on. I, I know those people because they're in like my healthcare network on Twitter. They're in like Slack groups that I'm in. Um, I've chatted with Morgan before. Creating content is great for you, but your network expands like exponentially. And before residency started where my time would be limited, I made an effort to like meet with people who follow me on Twitter, who follow me on in the newsletter and have like a 15 minute Zoom chat with them just to know who they are, get to know them, see how I could help them or they could help me. So the network is amazing. Let me get your thoughts on this slightly uh, controversial take I've got then. So I think that you know, there's the lean startup mode of building yeah. businesses, which of course has been incredibly successful in the startup land. I don't think it applies particularly well to media. And specifically what I mean is that the lean startup approach would say that, okay, you're launching your newsletter, you're launching your podcast, you're launching your book, whatever it is, you should just get the content out there and don't pay too much mind to irrelevant stuff. So don't spend, you know, 10 hours making a logo don't spend this much time picking the fonts, just get it out there. And there's some truth to that if you're like paralyzed by this kind of analysis paralysis or mm -hmm. perfectionism. But I think those things actually matter so, so much and they totally change how you're perceived. And I would actually argue, uh, I've got this other theory that the packaging is often more important than the actual content. And by that, I mean that in the past I've made uh, podcasts or content and I think they're incredibly interesting, but the packaging wasn't up to scratch. Equally, I've made like what I consider pretty mid-tier garbage. And just because I packaged it in a nice way, you know, like let's say we're talking about whole body MRI scanning. You can either talk about it in like a really boring way as like this company's just acquired this much money for like advanced radiology imaging. Or you can say, this is the scan that just ripped Kim Kardashian off, you know? <laughs> and that makes such a difference. So I would say basically that forget about the lean startup and you should spend ages and ages on those sort of irrelevant bits. What do you think? Interesting. So I'm, I'm very big on being lean. Um, like I pride myself on being efficient and effective. Um, but I think there's, there's, it, it requires a mix of both like good packaging, but also being efficient and effective. So like when we first started healthcare huddle, we were totally on the lean startup side, like iterate, throw stuff out there, come back, go to the drawing board, publish, keep doing it. And that's what we did for like the Instagram. And that's how like we perfected it like very quickly. And because we perfected very quickly, like then we could like focus on packaging. Um, but now, now that I have my system in place, I'm all for packaging. Like to the point where I write on my computer and, bef and before I send out any email, I will send a test email to my phone and I will read it on my phone as if like I'm a reader. And if I'm scroll, if my thumb is doing too much scrolling through the newsletter, I need to cut stuff out, right? Because there's like thumb fatigue with like reading a newsletter. Um, and I think with like packaging in this like very ADHD world, like people want things to look good, um, to they want it to be stimulated, and so you really do need to focus on good visually appearing, uh, appealing, again, again, provocative content. So that's, that's been my, that's been my focus now. Uh, but there is a time and place for being lean. And perhaps it's in like the early days of content creation where you're just trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work and find your process. And once you do that, then you could pivot your focus or majority of your time on like creating this beautiful package content. I think another thing I've noticed is that I feel like sometimes people who talk about being lean, especially later on, I think they're just lazy because it's, <laughs> right? It's easy to say that I don't care about this thing because I read this great business book that says this. And yeah. lo, and behold, lo and behold, it requires me to do less work as well. Whereas actually being really like solid on everything takes a lot of time and work. I, I'll add something. My, um, my brother, again, he was a co-founder with me. He pays 
such close attention to detail to the point where it annoyed me. Like he would look at, so healthcare law used to be extremely active on Instagram, like with educational posts and beautiful posts. And he would say fixated on where like a, ba a bubble in the background would be placed on like the first side of the Instagram. And he'd be like, does it look good there? Nah, nah, we'll move <laughs> it over. But it was just like attention to detail and like the focus on like the package that really like, you wouldn't notice it unless I said something, but it's like this mindset on, I guess, perfection that if you, when you do it enough, it like it starts scaling. Like it's not focusing on perfection isn't scalable, but like once you, when you do it over like 50, a hundred posts, then it starts scaling and people are like, this content just always looks beautiful. I think that most people severely or criminally underrate the editing process. And I'm saying this from like an audio or video side. So I'd be curious to see your take from a written side. But a lot of people like will start podcasting and they will be like, I'm going to outsource editing or someone else is going to do it for me. And to me, that's like a chef going and buying all the ingredients and saying, oh, someone else is going to cook it for me. I think it's completely I stupid. Like that. I um, like that. And I'd be really curious on your take on that. Like, I think actually you should maybe if you spend 50% creating, then you should be spending at least 30% editing and making as good as possible. Yeah. For content creating, like writing wise, I have a different take, but for podcasts and for audio and video, by doing your own editing and you're watching yourself, right? Like you're listening to yourself, like you start to realize your, these like little thing, like twitches you do, or like your stutters, or uh, perhaps like you go off topic a lot. And like editing yourself is a great way to like reflect on what you're doing and how you can improve. And if you're outsourcing all that, you're never going to improve how you're producing your content, how you're creating it. And also it's a great skill to have. And you start realizing what looks good and what doesn't look good. Um, where certain audio should be, shouldn't be, where a song should be or shouldn't be. Uh, so for audio and vid video, 100%, I think you should be doing your own. And unless you reach a point where you feel like you've done enough editing that you know your own style, you know, you like you've improved yourself. Like obviously there's always room for improvement, but you're past like the learning phase. Like you're now on like the plateau part of the learning curve. For writing content though, especially when it's you and not a brand, like it's Jared Dushevsky writing for Healthcare Huddle. I spend a lot of time making sure the, like packaging the newsletter, making sure it looks good and making sure there's no thumb fatigue. But content wise, like the actual written word, I don't do much editing. That surprises at me. At first I was very anxious and fixated about having a spelling error or typo, um, anything. And I actually remember early in the pandemic, and I, I was reporting on like the number of like COVID deaths. And I accidentally put like three zeros after like a million. So I said a billion. <laughs> and someone reached out to me and was so angry. They said, you are, you are just like all the other uh, people on the left. Like you are just blowing this out of proportion. And I thought to myself, like, this is obviously a typo. Like I obviously like mistakenly put three extra zeros because I was distracted yeah. or something. Um, and so after that point, and that was like six months into healthcare huddle, I was like so nervous about making errors. But then once we got acquired by Workweek, the co-founder was like, don't worry about making like mistakes in grammar, in writing. He's like, it just shows that you're a human writing it. He's like, it does not need to be perfect. Fix stuff, make it look good. But like, you don't need to like, like pull your hair out over a typo, over a grammar error. And sure, I use Grammarly to like do my last minute checks, um, but I just like breeze through it. Like if it says like you could try restructuring this sentence, I'm like, no, just I'm keeping it. <laughs> so for video and audio, I think you should be doing editing, um, especially because people are listening to you or they're watching you and people like I think expect more perfection with audio and video versus being like a sole creator writing. I think you can get away with not editing. You, but you should still try to make it look good and presentable. That's a really interesting point about how having errors can actually be almost a competitive advantage against this kind of bland AI generated or corporate sort of content that just sucks and no one wants to read it. That's really exactly. interesting. And I, I try to be very, you know, healthcare industry, healthcare news is, is boring. Like who wants to read about like, like drug prices? Like how do you make that fun? And you can make it fun by adding your own voice, adding your own perspective, adding your own, own humor, um, 
making small errors and perhaps you revisit those errors in the next email being like, uh, hey, if you caught this, good for you. Like you read my content to a T. My dad, after every newsletter, will circle, he will screenshot and circle <laughs> stuff and send it to me and be like, what's this? Like you, you misspelled this. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. I'm like, you don't need to do this to me. It's and, not. <laughs> and here's an error I made last Sunday or yes, two days ago. So I scheduled to send my newsletters on Friday so that I don't have to worry about it over the weekend, especially if, I, if I'm working over the weekend. I will schedule send so that I don't have to worry about it. Sunday morning, 8.15 a.m., wherever you are, I schedule based on time zone, you'll get my newsletter. On Friday, when I scheduled it, I accidentally did p.m. And so the newsletter wasn't sent at the usual 8.15 a.m. It was sent at night. Before, I would have freaked out and been like, oh my God, should I cancel it? Should I then send it now? But then everyone will get it no matter the time zone. People will get it at two in the afternoon or four in the morning if you're on the West Coast. Um, but I just left it. I'm like, it says good morning in the newsletter, but people will know I meant to send it earlier. Whatever, not going to worry about it. What's your opinion, Jared, on personality and infusing that within your media creation? I think Sean Puri from My First Million has a really, really interesting line where when he's talking about podcasts, he says that people come for the information, but they stay for the vibe. And I firmly, firmly believe that. I think that the vibe or the character or the personality or whatever your sort of unique spin is, that's what that's what leads to retention. Whereas if it's pure information, the second someone doesn't need that information or they move on or like this week is not that important, they're gone. So like, how have you thought of even in, you know, placing yourself as like, you know, healthcare huddle, but at the bottom, I think it says your name or at yeah. least your name is kind of important in the branding. Like, how do you think about all of that? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, when Health Cradle first started, I was so against being myself because I thought like physicians, conservative, like they just want the information. So for the first like year and a half of Healthcare Huddle, it was like that. There was like no personality to it. It was just, it was very succinct and well-written, but there was no personality behind it. And I had a whole team helping me write. So I had like maybe three people helping write one newsletter, which, um, at the time I needed, but looking back, probably wasn't needed giving I could like candle it myself right now. But when Workweek reached out to us for the acquisition, uh, the co-founder said, one thing I need you to do. He's like, I need you, Jared, to write the entire newsletter. He's like, no one else should be writing it. He's like, it needs more. It needs way more personality. He's like, like you said, like people will come for information, but they want to stay to learn more about Jared. Um, so in August of 2021, I basically told my team, like, listen, I'm going to write all my content and just ex experiment with this and see how I do. Uh, again, I was in the middle of like rotations in medical school. It's so, like, I was like drowning in work and, and struggling, but I'm like, if this is what's needed for acquisition, like I needed to try it. And writing Health Huddle became like way more fun. Now that it was like a personality behind it was me. This is Jared's opinion. Um, and I added a new section to my newsletter called Dash's Dissection, um, where it's like now my Dashevsky, my play my last name, like my analysis of the content. Um, and now people like will come up to me and be like, yo, Dash's Dissection, loved it, loved, loved reading it today. <laughs> in the beginning of the newsletter, in the intro, like I say something about myself, what I did over the weekend, what rotation I'm on in the hospital. Um, it's like when I came off of nights, I'm like, just finished like my week of nights, like well rested now for this to get this huddle out being a sole content creator like you need personality like you, you need to tell me something about yourself uh blake madden is another healthcare uh newsletter writer who's part of work week and he just talks about golf at the end of each newsletter he talks about his golf game and people freaking love it they love hearing what he what his school, golf score was over the weekend and so i i'm big on like fitness so like i started adding like what my big workout was for the week or if I'm training for anything, keep people up to the point where someone who was in New York City who reads South Huddle emailed back saying, let's go for a run together. And so I ran with him in Central Park like three times uh, just because he saw that I'm running. And like, think about what that does for your content, right? So now, not only was this person reading my content, but now he knows who I am and he ran with me. He like heard me talk when I'm like huffing and puffing, uh, like grunting, like in pain. Uh, it's like, that's like a deeper bond with my audience. Okay, let me give you another hot take then. So I think that in this space, 
the more valuable from a financial point of view the media or content you create is, likely the more boring it's going to be. And let me give you an example. So if you, and I've done this in the past, right? I made like a general medical AI newsletter. And it's like, this is a cool paper in this space. And it jumps from specialty to specialty and topic to topic. It's like, you know, alpha fold this week and next week it's like ophthalmology AI. And super fun, grows super fast. People love it. Like most doctors have some sort of vague interest in that topic. Great for subscriptions, great for readership, etc. But ultimately not a super, super useful, valuable bit of information. Whereas when I think of other examples of content uh, like industry dive type reports or market reports or, you know, when companies release their annual reports and people summarize those, et cetera. Like not terribly interesting, but that I think is where the value is captured. So like, what do you think about that kind of uh, tension between the value of information from a financial point of view and just like the interestingness? I think a lot of times they oppose. So are you talking more like being like a generalist versus like focusing on a certain niche? Yes, I'm talking to that to some degree. Exactly. I think niching down is helpful as well for the value. But specifically, I mean that when you are thinking of what kind of media you want to create, and if you want it to be a financial hit, I think you do need to stray away from just, wow, that's cool. Like this Tesla or this rocket launch is cool versus just saying like, what is going to be useful for people who have money to know about? So this is so interesting. You're basically asking the questions that we had to ask ourselves when building Healthcare (laughs) Huddle because we started out totally in that consumery news some flashy report hit CNN or like CNN reported something, NBC, BBC. And we were like, let's write about it. Um, <laughs> and it was cool. It was entertaining. It was like entertainment, but it, there is no money that's going to be spent. No, no, no one's going to give me money to put their brand in front of this like consumer type news up until a year and a half of healthcare huddle. It was all freaking consumer news, all consumer like, what is the trendy, what are the flashing lights in healthcare right now? And then again, once Workweek was inter- was trying to test acquisition potential, they said, Jared, you need to write the newsletter, as I said, but it needs to be more B2B, business-to-business news, right? So you need to start writing for the physician, for the healthcare executive. Give them, give them news that they want to hear or information they want to hear. Give them takes they want to hear. And so I had to, I had to shift from this consumer, like hot flashy news to, I don't say boring news, but more higher impact news that will impact business um, and like decision makers, which was tough because writing about consumer stuff is so easy, right? It is so easy to write about what's flashy and the Pranuvo stuff, the whole body imaging, there is a consumer part of that, Um, but there's also like a huge business component to it. Right. It's like you've reported on the business side. I've reported on the business side, which is what separates like the consumerish news from the business to business news. So I, I state the evidence behind it. And I say, there's no evidence to support whole body imaging scans unless you have like Lynch syndrome. Um, but this is going to make money because you have people like freaking Kim Kardashian uh, <laughs> advertising it like, un, like unpromptly, like it was unsolicited advertisement. Um, and so these rich people are just going to spend money and they're going to, Pranuva is going to make a ton of money. You can't make money doing consumer news. Like you'll just be like a CNN, but I mean, they make a lot of money, but like, you don't want to be the next (laughs) CNN. Uh, it's the business of business that really separates and that executives are reading. Like the key decision makers are reading the business to business news. Blake Madden, again, the other vertical at work week for healthcare. He writes about like United healthcare's earnings, um, like the largest insurer in, in America. And Sure, it's information, but he adds spicy freaking takes to it. Uh, he's adding his own like um, like sassy opinions, and he gets people riled up. Um, so I agree. You need you need to go the business to business route if you want to be like a successful like content creator. Sure, there's room for like the consumer stuff, but that can get boring really quickly, and people may lose interest if it's not as flashy as they want it to be. Here's where I think uh, the health creators in the space of making like sort of the biggest mistake and i don't think they'll realize this mistake until four or five years down the line oh actually a consistent work yeah this is a this is a good hook right <laughs> but uh basically i think a lot of people create audiences that are good from the metrics point of view good in scale but they're fundamentally useless audiences 
And this links firstly to niche. So they don't really occupy a specific niche. Um, secondly, they it might be their kind of willingness to pay or their buying power is pretty low as well. So an example of this is right, like I've got friends who've made um, YouTube channels where they're, they're doctors and they've made these big YouTube channels talking about kind of med school hacks and study tips, etc. And now they're a bit more further down the line. They want to navigate more towards their personal interests, maybe a bit more uh, like research or health-based or, you know, talking about whole body MRI scanning, for example. And they've turned around to these huge audiences of like, I'm talking like 100K, 200K plus people, right? Like really big audiences. And their content is now flopping because those people are not interested. Like, I mean, 500 views, 1,000 views, something like that, you know, like wow. literally like a 0.1% conversion because they've built this audience, this kind of house of cards on a different premise that isn't actually that useful. Like fair enough, if you want to sell like MCAT courses or uh, study tip courses, that's a great audience. But if you want to actually like leverage that audience to help you in your future direction, I think very early on, you should start thinking about what kind of people am I attracting? And I've made a very big focus towards making sure that this podcast I'm making, and I'm, I, I'm sure you do this as well, is attracting the type of people I would like to work with, I would like to invest in me, those, those sorts of like, in quotes, high value people. How have you thought about the kind of audience you're creating and making sure they're in quotes, high value? That's a fantastic question. Um, so I'll first start off with, I have like an ideal like reader in mind when I write, like it's like the physician who has their own independent practice um who's interested in like the business of healthcare like that's who i write when i'm writing my content i'm writing for that person funny enough again healthcare holder early on we we try to capture a wide net um and then very quickly with like probably about a year in we were like we actually have no idea who our audience is like we're assuming it's a bunch of students so let's start asking our audiences like who they are when they subscribe right so like now when you subscribe to healthcare huddle there's like what do you do? What industry you're in? Which is annoying, but we get great data. Now I know who's reading my articles. Um, Jared, can I just say, when I subscribed to Healthcare Huddle, it was like uh, like an interrogation from like the, uh, I don't know what you call it, like the IRS or whatever it is in your country, where it's like, what do you do? Like, I don't, I, did you ask how much money I earn? I can't remember, but it was really it? like, like what stage you're at, et cetera. And it didn't make sense to me, but I, yeah, please explain why you yeah, do yeah. that much. Because it's terrible for your funnel because people are dropping out. If they have to click six different things just to subscribe, you're losing people there. So like, what's the logic there? Yeah, so I didn't, I helped create it, but Workweek is like obviously the the people <laughs> creating it. Um, I will say, I think you're subscribed actually before you fill that out. So it's just like a threat, like an empty thread to like <laughs> fill it out. And I think the money question is, if you work for a company XYZ, how much money or revenue are they bringing in? Um, basically to see if we can contact you who just subscribed to put us in touch with your company to create some sort of partnership. Like, oh, if your company's making hundreds of millions of dollars annually, like, yeah, maybe you have some ad spend and you could give it to us. I'm all about making a streamlined process with subscribing and this is like a little friction, but it's it's like um, pros and cons. Like we get such valuable information and when it comes time for partnerships, like my team can easily present to the partners like this is who's reading healthcare huddle this is how much money they have this is where they're located like a lot of them are in new york city oh actually i want to host an event in new york city and sponsor it and then i can host a, a happy hour or something so that's very valuable it's oh, not can i just niche. add to here yeah, go that ahead. um i think exactly how you've described it's useful to sort of forward project and think when in the future i want to monetize what i'm making how am I going to make the pitch deck or how am I going to make the presentation that I'm going to talk to these companies with? And at that point, it's almost like pitching a startup. You need to have not only 30,000 subscribers, but what locations are they in? Yep. Do they have buying power? What stage they're in? What niches are they in? Yeah, like, yeah. That is incredibly, that, that separates, I think that's what you've done so well, where you've separated yourself from being like just a fun side project newsletter to actually a business. I think that's the key. For sure. And okay, so here's what I wanted to say. Um, so at first we targeted like medical students. Um, and then we started like this college ambassador program because this is what like some like, another newsletter, Morning Brew, this is what they did and was very successful. So we created like a healthcare huddle, huddle ambassador program where we reached out on social media. We had like 10,000 subscribers on Instagram and we tried to recruit college students to be part of this program where we would, I would like educate, like give like some classes on like healthcare 101, 
teach them about healthcare, give them healthcare huddle apparel. And in return, they just had to refer people to healthcare huddle. And it was during COVID. So like these college students, they were not out drinking and partying. Like they were bored. So they just did healthcare huddle stuff and it helped us grow so much. And then when it came time for the the, health, the acquisition for work week, uh, they're like, okay, again, so you need to be more B2B, focus on the physician, on the resident, on the decision makers, stop focusing on college students. They have no money. They're not, they have no purchasing power. Um, it's true. And I'm like, damn, it's like we put in so much time to build this audience of college students, but they don't have money. Like they're not going to buy something that like we try selling to them now like they've all grown with me so like they must be in medical school by this point or working um but i just remember it was very interesting when work we was, was like you need to focus on the people who have money um <laughs> and we need to know who they are and so this is why they started asking these questions when you sign up um and again thirty thousand subscribers 55 60 percent open rate every week that's great but like who is opening and reading the newsletter? And then it goes to something that Workweek likes to say is like, we've captured the attention of all these people, but how can we turn attention into intention? How can we get them to buy the products we're trying to sell? How, we, how can we get them to register for a virtual event that you're about to do? So like, and intention is tough. That is very tough because that, that's a metric of who is listening to you and trusts you and wants to learn more about you or the product you're offering. Okay, another framework I think is useful. Uh, did you ever watch the Jerry Springer show? I mean, I, not <laughs> rig- or religiously, but I've seen videos. <laughs> Jerry, okay, Jerry. Okay. <laughs> so this is like, um, I think America's sort of best bit of trash TV that I've come across anyway. And it's basically a show, right, where Jerry Springer gets on people and they basically have like fights about like infidelity and owing each other money it's like it's really yeah like trash tv super entertaining like empty calories right and i think what one of the really interesting parts of jerry springer's story is that okay here he is making this absolute trash but he was a super successful guy he was like uh, he had a successful law firm he was the mayor of cincinnati like he's a smart guy and in the 90s why did yeah, i know yeah, that he, i did not know that he started off in the 90s making a show that uh, i haven't watched it but i gather it was like a real politics show with like proper analysis and discussion and they slowly realized from their sort of data that um when they hosted more provocative topics like all of this stuff that it performed better and then in some way he made a full swing towards like just like trash but i think the lesson i take away from that is that jerry stopped giving people what he thought they wanted or what they should have and just sort of delivered what they want every week and that's what took him from being mm. like a mid-tier creator, no one's heard of a show, to like one of the most... I'm in the UK and I've heard of a show, yeah. right? So that's how big it came. So I think the lesson for me there is basically just, yeah, stop giving people what you think they want and actually just find out what do they want and deliver it. That's yeah. all you need to do. What do you think? I think it's so tough. I like, I think you're right, but I think it's so <laughs> tough to do. If you're a sole content creator, like you are very controlling of your brand and the content you produce. Taking feedback is tough. I write what I think my audience wants to hear. I know if I'm right, based like, was that a right choice to write about it? I guess like how provocative it was and like people responding to my newsletter. I write newsletters some Sundays and no one replies back to the newsletter. And that's when I'm like, I'm never writing on this again. Like this is, I guess it was so boring, but I thought it was interesting. I was like, I thought like people need to know about this to like take better care of patients, to be better informed. It is very tough because... I have this, I feel like I know at this point, like what my audience wants. And like for the most part, I do. Um, but of course, there's like some weeks where I guess I just write a shitty top on a shitty topic <laughs> that I put so much work into and it just flops. And when I, when I gave a shot at my previous a previous startup before healthcare huddle, before medical school, my co-founder and I, we pitched our startup to this like very stoic asshole professor. And we pitched it to him. And the first thing he said, it was like, who, who have you talked to about this startup? And we said, oh, we talked to our friends and our family. And he said, okay, what do they say? Our friends, oh, my mom said it was a great idea. Like my friends said it was a great blah, blah, blah. Like, like this is why we're doing it because of the great feedback. He's like, your friends and family will tell you what you want to hear. He's like, you need to talk to strangers. He's like, 
talk to strangers, cold email people, go to Starbucks, like randomly pitch your idea to someone in Starbucks. He's like, because strangers won't tell you what you want to hear. They will be honest with you. And so for like creating content, right? Like I'm, I don't text my dad now and be like, Hey, was that, a, was this a good huddle? Like I value his opinion, but, um, he's just gonna, he's not gonna tell me, no, this news is for shit today. Like I didn't read it. Like <laughs> he's not gonna ask me that. So like, it's like the random people who read my newsletter, who I really value feedback from. And honestly, if I don't get any replies, I take that as it was a very poor email <laughs> or not like provocative enough. Let's talk analytics because I think there's a real risk here of, we, you know, we as like online sort of creators have great access to really, really solid analytics that previous generations have not had. But I think there's this danger of this like hyper-optimization paradox where you keep on getting these analytics and you think, okay, I wrote on this sort of maybe consumer health topic I wrote about this whole body MRI scan, which is really sort of has broad appeal to people. I'll write more about that next week. And you keep on going. And I think the danger of that is that there aren't very good analytics for what I would describe as maybe long-term buy-in, or as you described what Workweek said, where we need to turn that sort of attention into intention. Um, an example of this will be like, I know, again, a lot of sort of successful creators say on TikTok, who they are getting sort of millions or hundreds of thousands of views every TikTok they do. And then they turn around after years of doing this and they're like, hey, here's my product. Um, you know, I've been grafting away. Do you guys want to buy it? And like crickets, like they've got like no conversion. And I think that's very dangerous because it's a very, very easy trap to fall into to see these analytics every week and keep on optimizing for them. And you're actually on a road to nowhere. So I want like, what's your take been on how you respond to analytics? Have there been any like lessons you've learned, any times you've ignored them, any times you've followed them? Like what's your whole relationship there? Yeah, so at, at first, like I was obsessed. I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm in medicine. I'm big on data. Like I don't like doing <laughs> yeah. things without data. So I was very big on subscriber growth and open rate, right? So like the open rate is like what percentage of people are opening, not reading, opening your email. Um, then it slowly turned to being very fixated on the click rate. So like how many people are not only opening my newsletter, but clicking the links that are in the newsletter, um, right? Because if they're clicking, then you're, you're, that's like a surrogate for like engagement, like they're engaged. And obviously the click rate is going to be substantially lower than the open rate, right? There's people who passively read and there's people who are like engaged readers. And then like, the, so you have passive engaged and then you have the, the, the people with like intention where I say, this is a product I like, I think you guys would like it too. Then they click that and then convert to like a purchase on their, on the, uh, partner partners end. So nowadays I don't give a shit about open rate, right? Like it could be 40% one week. It could be 60%. That's great. I care about click rate. Like who is clicking through the links in my newsletter? Um, how can I optimize it to like get people to click like previous content? And then if I have an ad, I want to see from like their perspective, how many people I got to their website and who purchased whatever we were offering. And of course, like my job for the ads is just to get the people to the website. And then it's on the other people, like their website design or copy to like get them to convert. Cause again, that's intention. And that's like the highest value you can have. Um, especially with like these virtual events that I'm having, right? Like I advertise for them in the newsletter. I see people click, but how many people are actually going through with the registration, right? And again, that's intention. So now I'm, very focused on intention, who is like listening to what I'm saying and like following what I recommend. Um, and that's like, the, that's like the, the highest value I can look at. Do you think there's any other frameworks or do you think we're done? Is there one, anything that you wanted to say? Yeah, one thing that uh, you wrote down was like doing things that don't scale. Again, this goes against like the lean um, startup idea because like you're, the whole point of being lean is like you're doing things that will scale and like will be efficient. But I think for content creation, like doing things that don't scale can add more value than like doing things that do scale. So for example, when you subscribe to my email, you'll get a welcome email from me. And I say, tell me about yourself. Here's a bit about me, but let me know like who you are, where you are, what you do in healthcare. Uh, and then I say, what do you love and hate about the US healthcare system? buy it. I mean, I should, do, I should actually open that up, given my global audience uh, and people will respond so, and I will respond back to them just to engage 
with them. And this does not scale at all, right? Like if I have 10 emails a day from people subscribing and I'm responding to them all, like I'm wasting like 30 minutes, but those are 30 minutes that I'm like putting into creating an engaged audience. Like if someone from Montana who works at a hospital system there, or is like CEO of a hospital system there, like subscribes to my email, he, he takes 15 minutes to respond back. Like I need to <clears throat> respond back. Like, thank you for writing this email. Uh, great to see like you're working at this hospital. Like I'm, you'll enjoy this newsletter. I'll talk about it. And sometimes they'll, they'll reply back and then it will be like a, a conversation where they ask me questions. And that's an engaged person who's going to a hundred percent open my email when they read it the next Sunday. Um, doesn't, this does not scale, but it is, I think, essential to like creating a very engaged audience. That is so interesting because I emailed, I don't know if you know Azim Azar who writes Exponential View, which is a really, really huge AI newsletter. So it's like the intersection of AI and technology with every industry. But um, essentially, I think he charges $100 a year for his newsletter. And it's got something like, I think, think 10,000 or just over that paid subscribers. Wow. So yeah, he's making a lot. He's yeah, wow. he's really he's really yeah, he's really hot. Um and I emailed him. I was like Azim and he's he's a brown guy as well, so I was like Azim, you know, you're like my <laughs> it's my dream to be you basically. That's great. Uh, uh, can we be friends? And I was like what's your like one tip, right? What's the what's the one bit of advice you have for me doing this podcast? And the one line he wrote back, he's extremely busy. He was just like Every time you get like a subscriber or get some feedback, email them and say thank you. And I thought that was really, really interesting because obviously at his scale, that's actually a huge amount of work. At mine, it's not. Even I'm lazy with that. Like right. I don't do it for some reason. And I think it's totally what you say. You create this like engaged user base, which is very hard to create otherwise. For sure. And in the early days of Healthcare Huddle, each time someone followed us on Instagram, I would message them and say, here's who I am. Like, we'd love to learn more about you. I have this newsletter, please subscribe. You can just give me your email and I will subscribe for you. So that's like even more inefficient, right? Like I'm not sending them a link to subscribe. I'm saying, give me your email and I will put you into my system. Yeah. And we must've done that with 2000 people. And like we converted yeah. a lot of them. So it didn't awesome. scale, it took in work, but like I have a more engaged audience in return and again, like what I just said, like I value engagement and like intention way more than just like subscriber number and open rate.